You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Gospel of Luke, Jesus for All, we walk through Luke's account of the life and ministry of Christ. Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 26 through 38 today. So let me just read through them, and then we'll kind of walk through them piece by piece. And uh, so let me read this passage, and we'll pray, and I'll give an opportunity maybe for some of the parents to make it back. And uh, we'll dive into what the Lord has for us today. Verse 26 says this, In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And Lord God will give give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just ask for your spirit to work through me and in the hearts to everyone that is listening. Father, I pray that today that we will be um, in awe of what God is doing and has done and did for Mary and is doing for us. And Lord, that we will also be challenged to look at our life, to step into what God has for us and to obey and walk in joy through that obedience. And Father, I just pray for your help today. And Lord, I again, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever noticed that many times we are and infatuated, like we, we just love to introduce others to things that we have done in the past or that things that we have that has brought us awe before. Like we just love to, to, to bring people alongside of us and, and to show them things that we have experienced or things that, that we know about. Just think about a, a parent introducing their child to their favorite childhood activity for the first time. Uh, I know I've had to experience that and maybe some of you have also. Or maybe when you take a, a friend uh, to experience a, a new restaurant that you found or a new hiking trail or a, a place that just, just opens up the, the wonderful uh, wilderness or the, the breathtaking um, landscape of, of God's creation and, and you just can't wait to bring that person to see that or to take them to that restaurant or friend them for them to experience it. I know there's many things in, in my life where um, I couldn't wait to show the kids. 
I couldn't wait to, to experience that with them. You know, I remember one of the things that I got to experience as a, a, a young teenager, and, and I know this, this is going to hit like maybe one-tenth of one percent of you, but, but um, I, my family enjoys racing in, in cars and everything like that. And one of the, the neatest things that you'll ever see, and some of you are like, I really don't care what you're talking about, and it's not really on my radar. But it's just one of those things that, like, how does that happen? And there's a thing called NHRA drag racing where you have a a dragster that goes from zero to to 300 mile an hour in three seconds and when those bad boys launch they actually rumble the ground around you and i could not wait to take my kids to see that i know anthony experienced it and becca was too young but it's neat how we want to bring people to see things that we are in awe of Things that, that we have experienced. I know that the beginning of the, of the football season that I was reaching out to Chris Schrock and, and I was like, man, I want to go to Happy Valley. I want to go to Penn State where there's 100,000 people all cheering for the same thing, which why are we so infatuated with things like that? Because that's nothing more than what we'll be doing in heaven. As people gather together to all cheer for the same thing, the Lord and Savior, that's why football and all this brings about awe and we just couldn't have it. But, but I know this, that Chris has been there 10 times, 20 times, 30 times. He's been there a bunch of times. But he was excited to try to make it happen. Why? Because he gets to bring Joe, who will get to see it for the first time. In other words, we get to relive, relive this experience or this thing that caused us all through the eyes of someone else. Therefore, we get to experience it for the first time ourselves. What we are stepping into is called wonder. And wonder happens when you get to experience something for the first time through somebody else's eyes. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is designed the same way. The gospel is designed the same way. The gospel is not something that is meant to only be consumed. The gospel falls short. You you probably don't understand why there's preachers that stand up here and and Christians that come to you and say, oh, you got to talk about the gospel. And they talk about the gospel and they talk about the gospel. And then if all you ever do is just consume the gospel, you will never get why they're so infatuated with what the gospel has done for them. Why they're in so awe of that. It is not meant just to be consumed. The gospel is meant to be passed along. It is meant to be taught, shown, proclaimed to our children, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to our friends, neighbors, and loved ones who are unbelievers. The gospel is meant to be passed along. And that's exactly what Luke is doing to for Theophilus. He is passing along the gospel. In Luke 1, 3 through 4, we read, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, if you have a journal Bible, if you underline your Bible, there is a word that you need to circle and underline because this is what the whole book is about. And is that word is certainty. He is writing this so that you may have certainty in what you've been told and what you believe. In other words, he's bringing Theophilus back to the gospel and says, let me show you. You've been taught these things, but I'm going to pass it on to you again, and you get to see it again. And that's how the gospel is designed. It's so that we pass it on, and and Luke is saying it so that you have certainty, that you have no doubts, that you have... 
have no unbelief, that you truly trust in your Lord and Savior as, as Luke unpacks his life and his ministry in this book. This is what the Word of God empowered by the Spirit of God does every time we open it up. We are introduced to God to see Jesus yet again for the first time through another's eyes. It creates wonder. It creates awe. Luke begins with telling the story of a couple babies. John and Jesus. This is how he's going to start his account. He's going to bring Theophilus to the, to the edge. He's going to show him this wonder of, of what God has done to save his people. The narrative's major goal, which runs from here at the uh, what, what John, uh, Matt started with, with verse 5 in chapter 1, and it goes all the way to chapter 40 of verse 2. This, this narrative of these two babies that are coming into the world. It is to give an overview of God's plan by showing the relationship of Jesus to John. That's what he's trying to accomplish in these first two chapters. John, of course, is the forerunner who announces fulfillment's approach. In other words, that, that the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for him, and they're waiting for him. They're, they're waiting for him to come. And, and Luke starts out by saying, well, there's going to be one that's going to stand. He's going to live his life. And all he's going to do is he's going to point to the one that is the Messiah. He's going to point to the one who is the Christ. He is the fulfillment of all the promises of the Old Testament. John paves the way. Jesus is the way. We can't get those things mixed up. Many times in our life, we get those mixed up. It's like we think, oh, this is the way. But no, Jesus is the way. As Matt showed us last week, Luke starts the story with the breathtaking, um, the breaking of the silence of God. For 400 years, there's been no prophets. There's been no one of God that's been speaking into the life of the Israelites. There's 400 years of silence, and he breaks in. And God speaks by sending the angel Gabriel to make a birth announcement. This is found in verses 13 through 14. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Why? Because he will be great before the Lord, this man named John. He breaks the silence, said John is coming. John is the forerunner, and he's going to be pointing to the one who fulfills everything. What made John great before the Lord? Well, Matt gave a great answer for that last week. He said this, There was no greater than John because John, rather than making himself great, pointed to the one greater than us all, Jesus Christ. That was his mission, to point to Jesus and declare him the Christ. That was his job. I mean, people were coming out to be baptized, but that the whole time he was, he was trying to just point people to Jesus, point people to Jesus, because Jesus is the way. However, we know that Zechariah did not believe. He did not trust the Lord, and he was judged immediately and was unable to speak. Thankfully, nowadays, with, with the grace that has come because of, of Christ, that we are not necessarily judged immediately like Zechariah was, that they could not speak from the time that, that Gabriel left him till the time that John was born. And oh, by the way, we'll find this out later on as in the coming weeks, but John was able to speak after obedience by why not naming his son Zechariah as the family would do, because you would name your, your firstborn son after the father, but, but he's... He kind of gestured and spoke up in, in a way that he could to say that his name must be John. And then he was able to speak. 
So we hear all through the Bible, all the way from Genesis, all the way to the end, we see that disobedience leads to curse and obedience leads to blessings. And we find this right here in this passage as Luke opens up the birth of John to us. But in all of this, what we see is the faithfulness of God, even though Zechariah sinned. We see God's faithfulness. Luke one twenty four says, After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying. Right? He is faithful even though we are not many times. He is always faithful. That is who God is. He is always faithful. Don't miss this. Even though Zachariah sinned, God was faithful to his plan. You cannot frustrate God's plan. You cannot frustrate God's plan. Not your rebellion, not your plans, not your dismissal of what the Word of God says. God is God, and His plan will always come to pass. It's just whether or not we go kicking and screaming, or if we go willfully, as we're going to see Mary did. You cannot frustrate God's plan. And yes, sometimes we get on our own plan and we live for our own kingdom and our schedules are full of things that I want to do and and I want to do this and we forget about God and we forget about the commands of the Bible to love others and to give give ourselves to others as Sam read today that we were saved for other people, that we are saved to be a blessing to others and many times our lives are are filled with things that, that we want to do and our schedules are filled with what we want to do and then we come along and, and someone says, oh, how are you doing? And, and And the answer is, well, I'm pretty miserable. Well, I wonder why. Wonder why. You were saved for a purpose. You're an ambassador. You're God's voice to a fallen world, to a world that is going straight to the pit of hell. And you're that voice. It's nothing that we have done. It's all that God has done in and through us. And his plan that is never thwarted, that is never broken, takes us to a small town in Galilee next. And, in that, and, and we see this in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Of course, the sixth month that they're talking about is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. When betrothal began and everything changed for Joseph and Mary... It was a bit different than the way things happen for us today whenever we get engaged. This betrothal period was, it was much different in the first century. Like, like they, Joseph would, would go to his father and his father would go to her father and they would make an arrangement. And if they could make that arrangement, however it might happen as far as a payment for the hand in marriage or what have you, and then, then they would get the word back to Joseph, and Joseph would propose, much like today, there would be a ring involved. But from that point on, they would both live separately. They would, Mary would live with his parents, and Joseph would start preparing a house. He would start preparing and building a house, oftentimes attached to his parents' house or above his parents' house. That's just how things would happen. But these two, this couple was, was in every legal sense, married. That's what the betrothal means that they're talking about here. However, they did not live together, obviously, and did not consummate their marriage. 
This was a season set aside to learn to love each other deeply, to depend on trust each other fully, to be set apart from one, to be set apart for one another. There was so much to do to prepare for what everyone called the home taking. See, many times if you think of our weddings, right, the, the, the groom is standing here beside the pastor usually or whoever's doing the vows and you have the groomsman and the, and the bride comes to the groom. But that's not the picture we have in the Bible. The picture that we have in the Bible is the bride is anxiously waiting for the groom to come get her. And that's exactly what we are today. We are a body of believers. We are the church. We are his bride anxiously waiting for the groom to come get us yet again. And what? We go to heaven, have the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's pretty fascinating how it all ties together. Again, these two young folks. Now, I want you to realize this, that they're probably like 13 to 15 years old. And they're preparing all this, and they're doing all these things to prepare for their marriage. It's just fascinating. All the places and all the people in the world, God could have went. He chose a lowly maid from an insignificant town. Mary was among the lowly. Like many people in Israel, she was a poor, uneducated peasant living in a small country town far from the center of power. She didn't know that, or did she care? She was getting married. Her life circumstances just didn't matter to her. She was getting married. But God had other plans. God had more plans for her. God sent Gabriel to interrupt Mary's life, to change Mary's life in a very real way, to change our lives forever. Gabriel's appearance shows us something about God. God's grace is for the lowly. God's grace is for the lowly. And God showed grace to Mary in the way the angels said, hello. This is what Stephen was, was, pulled, was pulling out from this passage. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. God is with you, not because of any merit within Mary, but simply because of his grace, because he chose this, because this is his plan and this is what he wanted to do. It wasn't anything about Mary or any specialness about Mary whatsoever. It was just God's choosing her. Luther paraphrased this greeting like this. Oh, Mary, you are blessed. You have a gracious God. No woman has ever lived on earth to whom God has shown such grace. Notice that it's, it's the grace being bestowed on her. It's nothing within her. And again, it, it's... Worth mentioning simply because more and more it seems that spirituality is winning the day where we, we just, we don't want to look at the word and we don't want to believe all of the word says. We'll just take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this. We'll, we'll form a God in our own image and that's who we'll worship. But that's wrong. It's, it's going to lead us down the path to destruction. The angel's greeting has often been misunderstood. Gabriel was not worshiping Mary in any way. Nor did he say that she was full of grace, which is a prayer. These ideas come from a prayer commonly used by Roman Catholics. Hail Mary, full of grace. 
But the, the amazing thing is, is, is people pray to Mary because they think she has grace to give. But the phrase full of grace is based on a Latin translation, the Vulgate, that is really a mistranslation. And, and, and the crazy thing is, is even the Roman Catholic scholars agree to this, but most still think that Christians should pray to Mary. No, we should not pray to Mary. She does not have grace to give. The grace was bestowed on her by God. She was just a lowly, young girl preparing to get married. The way Mary helps us is not by giving us grace, but by showing us that God can give us the same kind of grace that he gave her. He can give us the same kind of grace that he gave her. She received grace from God. Her example proves that God shows unmerited favor to lowly sinners like us. To lowly sinners like us. Even when we feel small and insignificant, overlooked by the world, we can know that God is for us. He is for us. Gabriel's greeting shows God's grace for the lowly. This is so comforting for us. But in the moment, with an angel standing before you, if you think about all the times in the Bible that an angel shows up, people are usually hitting the ground, right? They're fearful. Mary was still troubled. Even though God is pouring out his grace on her, she's still a little troubled. I, I know I would be. We read in verse 29 this, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Okay, so is this coming for destruction or what kind of greeting is this? What, why, is, why has God sent this angel to me? Why is he pouring out his grace on me at this point in time? Naturally, the, the wheels are spinning and she's trying to figure this out. Gabriel did not leave her in suspense, but followed his greeting with an announcement. And here's what he said, starting in verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in in and of his kingdom there will be no end. With these words, the angel announced the greatest event in human history, the coming of the Son of God. The coming of the Son of God. And Mary, you are going to be right in the middle of it. You're going to be right smack in the middle of it. By his grace, by God's grace, Mary, you will give birth to a son. It had to be God's grace. She was betrothed to be married, and they have not consummated that marriage yet. She is a virgin that has never had relations in that way. Then Gabriel proceeded to explain the significance of this child, telling about the person and the work, the person being who he is and the work that, what will he do? What, I mean, put yourself in Mary's shoes just for a moment. you you're just you're busy doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're preparing to be to be married, and all of a sudden, an angel shows up and says, "Oh, by the way, you're going to have a child, and he's going to be the savior of the world." So he, Gabriel tells us who he is. His name is to be Jesus, which means God saves or the Lord is salvation. So Gabriel's saying that okay, this. 
not only this miraculous thing that you're going to have a child, even though you're a virgin, but this child is going to be the Savior of the world. This is the first hint that Jesus would be the Savior. He would bring salvation to sinners by dying on the cross in shame and then rising again in glory. The next thing the angel said that he would be great. Not like John's greatness. John's greatness came from pointing to Jesus. But that he would just simply be great. By saying that Jesus would be great, Gabriel is testifying to the deity of Jesus Christ. The Bible testifies that when great is used without qualification, it almost always refers to God himself. So this baby that's going to be the Savior, by the way, it is God himself. God's wisdom is great. His works are great. His power is great. His mercy is great. We must always keep in mind how Jesus defines greatness. How Jesus defines greatness. And just later on in the the book of Luke, he tells us, For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? At table, but I am among you as the one who serves. So even though he was the Savior, even though he is God, he is also a servant. He has served each and one of us, every one of us who are in Christ by going to the cross and dying in our place, by taking the wrath that we deserve for our sin. Jesus was the greatest because his sacrifice on the cross, he became the servant of all. All who will be called into salvation. After testifying to his greatness, the angel said that Jesus would be called the son of the most high. And later Gabriel calls him the son of God. He's building this resume of who this amazing person that that she's going to give birth to, that he is truly the Messiah. He is truly the Son of God. Divine Sonship is his eternal identity as the second person of the Trinity. God, the eternal Son. This is who he is. For the first time in history, the mystery of who the Messiah would be has been revealed. God has revealed that to Mary. Not because she's awesome, but because he chose to. Because he chose to. This is who he is, Jesus, who is great, who is the Son of God. Now, what will this Messiah do? He will reign forever, and the kingdom he reigns over will never, ever end. He is the king now. He is the king of kings. He is the Messiah. We see in verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, I know that at age 50, I got less life ahead of me than I do behind me. My kingdom, or my, even my own little kingdom that Joe thinks he rules and reigns, is not going to last forever. And either one of yours will last forever. But here it is that, that we see that the angel saying that he will la- his kingdom will last forever. He will sit upon the throne. What throne? And he's fulfilling a promise here. The throne of David. Within the line of David, he will sit upon the throne. And his throne will be forever. Long ago, God promised David that his son would have a kingdom that would never end. 
He's fulfilling the promise. In 2 Samuel 7, 13, we read, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Talking about the Messiah to come. Talking about this, this baby that Mary is going to give birth to. 2 Samuel 7, 16 says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So here we see the internality of God. He's forever that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That he will, his kingdom will never, ever end. These promises were all fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is the son of David and Israel's eternal king. This was the the angel's announcement. Mary would give birth to a son named Jesus, who would be the great savior and the son of God, the most powerful ruler in history of the world. Now, for you and me today, sitting here in 2022 on a very cold Sunday morning, do you trust the angel's promise? Because that's what he's saying to Mary, that this is who this person is, that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the only way to God. Do you trust the angel's promises today? It was written so that you would know for sure Remember why Luke is writing this? So that you know for certain who to trust in to have eternal life. That you may know for sure. So that you would be, believe in Jesus as your Savior. Worship Him as your great God. And serve Him as your everlasting King. Because that's who He is. Unlike Zechariah, we see that Mary believed Gabriel. She believed him. She didn't doubt. She believed him. But she did have a question. Because she kind of knew how things worked, and there was a question looming here, like, okay, how am I giving birth to this son when I've never been with a man? Like, how is this going to happen? And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Mary was preparing for the consummation of her marriage that was not happened yet. How could she conceive and bear a son if she had never been with a man? This question was not one of unbelief like Luke's account of Zachariah's question. He wanted to know if he should believe it or not. He wanted some kind of confirmation. Mary just wanted to know how in the world is this going to happen? What's the mechanics of it? Like, how is this going to happen? Unlike Zechariah, she believed the promise would come true. But she was still curious to know how it would happen. And Gabriel gave her an answer. We see this in verses 35 through 37. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who has called barren. So there's a miracle has already happened. Just like Elizabeth. That's why, that's why we had Ruth read the, the, the Old Testament account of um, Sarah's of the, the birth announcement that, that she's going to have a baby. It's like God's already done this once. He's done it with Elizabeth and now he's going to do it again with Mary. Mary asked the same question that people will ask today. How can this be? How can this be? 
I think so often and many times we are so curious about how can this be that we wrestle the grace of God and, and try to, to drum up our works in, in a way to work ourselves to our salvation. That way we can be in control of it. But Mary's trying to show us, and, and Luke is trying to show us, that it is just God's grace that is lavished upon us, right? That's what Ephesians 2 says. That's what Paul says, right? That we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But God lavished his grace upon us. He caused us to be born again. He gives us the faith to believe, and then we're able to repent and trust in Christ. So Mary asks the same questions that we ask today. You know what? It's okay to ask questions to God, by the way. We have Job, we have Habakkuk, we have tons of Psalms that do that very thing. That we might, we might sometimes question, how is this going to happen? Like can, you, like, can you give me the mechanics of it, Lord? But we must always walk in faith that if God said it will happen, it will happen. It will happen. Maybe not on our timeline, as often it frustrates us, but it will happen. It will happen. What was Gabriel's answer to this question of how? Well, the answer is very simple. If you believe in the power of God. The answer is that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. This is the miracle of the virgin birth that Christians have always confessed. This is what we've always confessed. Gabriel told Mary that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her, that the power of the Holy Spirit would work. This is exactly what happens when we're born again. If you're here today and you're in Christ and you're a born-again believer in Christ, this is exactly what has happened to you. The Holy Spirit has overshadowed you. The Holy Spirit has changed your heart not because of a decision you made, but because somewhere along the line, someone has proclaimed the power of the gospel. They've given you the good news of who Jesus Christ is, and God has sent the Spirit to change your heart. And we've heard it hundreds of times and thousands of times, but all of a sudden this one time, why do I care what this man is saying about my sin, about heaven and hell, and the Savior, and everything that's happened in my life? Why is it all of a sudden that, that it makes sense to me? It's because God has acted upon you. He has lavished His grace upon you. He has changed your heart. He's taken away the blind so that you can see Christ for who He truly is. And that's exactly what happens with Mary. Is the Holy Spirit it will cause her to become pregnant. It's a, there's a really cool line that you can, you can follow all the way from Genesis about the seed, the corrupted seed that Adam put in every single human being. So Jesus is the uncorrupted person, the one without sin. That's because his seed was not corrupted. It came from the Holy Spirit. That's why he's sinless. He didn't inherit the sin that we inherited from Adam. He came, his seed came from the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens in our new birth. So it's like, if we can't somehow, because of science and because of, of the age that we live in, we can't believe in, a, in, in the virgin birth that is given to us by um, you know, an honorable, good historian like Luke, then, then we're going to quickly just disregard this thing called the new birth and, and how he changes us. We must believe that. We must believe in his power, in his grace that acts upon us. This is the supernatural work of God through the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, the Holy Spirit has been overshadowing the church from the beginning. So many people are, are, are crying, like, the, the church is dying, and the church is going to die off, and there ain't going to be no church. And I'm like, that's utterly impossible, folks. The, the church is, is being kept by the Holy Spirit and God, and is built on the rock that Jesus Christ, not on any man. That's the church is being kept and overshadowed. Look at Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is working. It is the power of his presence that we serve Christ today. We sing that song not, not I, but Christ. Yeah, I knew as soon as I said that, I'm going to mix that up. Yet not I, but Christ in me. The Holy Spirit has been overshadowing God's people from the very beginning, working with the Father and the Son for our salvation. Think about it. When things are birthed in God's economy, the Holy Spirit is usually always at work. The Holy Spirit is there every time something is birthed. When creation was born, where was the Spirit? He was hovering over the land. In our new birth, who does that? It's the Holy Spirit's work in our new birth. The birth of Jesus, who did that? The Holy Spirit did that. If we say that Jesus was not born of a virgin, then either we believe that Mary was sexually immoral or that Luke was a writer of fiction or both. And that's a scary place to be. Even worse, we deny the deity of Jesus Christ because it is his conception by the Holy Spirit that makes him the Holy Son of God. Gabriel declares that nothing will be impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. So stop and think. And if God could perform the miracle of the virgin birth, then he is quite capable of handling the difficulties of your daily life. All through this week, because I'm studying this passage and I'm working in this passage, I started asking people, how can I be praying for what you're about to face today that you can't do alone? And it is pretty cool, the responses I got and the privilege I got to go to the throne of God and ask the God of heaven to help his children. To help his children. He can handle it, guys. Go to him. Ask for his help. There is nothing too big for him, and there is nothing too small. Nothing too small. We be, should be thanking him that we have enough breath in our lungs to get through this time together, to get through the next minute. There is nothing too small and nothing too big for our God. Do you believe this? See, Mary believed it. And what a difference it made in her life. Mary's answer to the angel shows a life of indifference. It's a life of indifference. And brothers and sisters, we need to, to be striving for a life of indifference. And I know that that word is used to say that I don't care about something. That, that you know, I'm just indifferent to it. I don't care. But no, that's not what I mean here. And that's not what Mary was showing here in in what she says in the very last verse of our passage. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Look at those words. Let it be. 
To be spiritually indifferent is to be at a place where you hold no preference apart from the preference that the will of God be done here today with this matter. In other words, that that you have picked up your cross. You have denied yourself. This is all within Jesus' teaching. That whatever God's will is for your life, and sometimes His will is for you to suffer for a little bit so that you can see how good He is and how gracious He is, or maybe it is that you're going to suffer for a little bit so that you can help someone else see who God is as you proclaim who He is through your suffering. But to live indifferently as Mary did is to let it be, Lord. Let it be. Indifferent living is when you have no preference other than the will of God. You have no preference other than the will of God. Our prayer to God becomes nothing more, nothing less, nothing else but your will. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else but your will. This is the life of a Christian. We're not setting our own agendas for life for the next month, for the next week, or the next day. We are seeking God's will for what we are to do. And thankfully, he's given us a wonderful book where we can open up the word. We don't have to sit around and, 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 and meditate think, and waiting for something to pass by to say, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. No, you open up the word and he will show us what to do. It's a wonderful thing. You have brothers and sisters in Christ that, that you can do life with and, and they help us to stay on his willful path. We know this as, as the disciples asked Jesus, how should we pray? How does he start that? Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How rare is it to find someone who is willing to trust God for the impossible and to obey Him without hesitation or qualification? How rare it is to find someone who is willing to trust God for the impossible and to obey Him without hesitation or qualification? So many times we like that qualification word, like, well, we, we want to throw some fleeces out. Like, well, I'll do this, God, if you do that, or if you show me this, or if you do this, or if you give me that, but... How rare it is for someone to trust God because Mary here, she's just living a life of indifference. She's like, whatever your will is, let it be, God. You, I'm just your servant. I'm here because you've lavished your grace upon me. See, Mary, at a young age of 14, was a woman of great, great faith. She understood that once we know that God wants us to do, any delay is a sign of unbelief. It's a a sign of unbelief. And and this is what we do in our discipleship groups. This is what we do whenever we have an equipping event, like how people change. Is what we're trying to do is we're trying to get to the root of your unbelief because God has given us what we should be doing. We just don't believe much of it. And that's all of us. So we need to help one another to get to the roots of our unbelief and then to preach the gospel to one another so that we do believe. And then we walk in that obedience And brothers and sisters, when we're walking in obedience, there's blessings to be had. And there's a a fruitful, well life to be lived. Mary trusted God even when it seemed impossible. 
She wanted to offer God humble, trusting, submissive obedience. She was committed to doing whatever she was told to do. Her calling was to serve. How did Mary agree, knowing all these consequences that she faced? I mean, there was going to be shame. There's going to be people talking. There was going to be people thinking, you know, what about Joseph? He's, did she cheat on me? This, this, that, and the other. Like, there's all kinds of consequences for her trust, for her belief. There's going to be all kinds of suffering that comes in on her just because she wants to be obedient to the Lord. But she did it willingly. She did it by faith. That's why we are to walk by faith. She trusted God for all of it. Her relationship with Joseph, her reputation in town, her physical suffering, and the anguish of her soul. She trusted God with all of it. You know what? You've, you've given your grace to me. I will walk in it. And your grace will be sufficient for me when I get to these points of her reputation or her physical suffering or different things. And that's a message and a word for each one of us today. He will be there for us. Mary believed in God and followed him with trusting obedience. This is what it means to be a Christian. Indeed, we might even we say that Mary was the first Christian. For a Christian is simply a person who believes in Jesus and says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Are you willing to be God's servant? Then surrender to his will and submit to his word. Give up control, putting things into his hands rather than bending them to your own purpose. Live for God no matter what other people think. And do this even if it means suffering for the cause of Christ. By the grace of God, through faith in Christ, and by the work of his Holy Spirit, we are able to say that Mary said, Have it your way, Lord. Not mine. I'm ready to do your will. I am ready to do your will. Will you pray with me? Father, we know that, that this is a calling that we need to step into. Lord, that we must be obedient, that we as Christians to surrender our lives. But you are so gracious to us that in your word it says that that surrendering doesn't have to happen in a moment's time. You know what? I will progressively love you, give you more grace, and bring you along in your journey to become like my son Jesus. You're so gracious even in that. You're not demanding for every one of us to stand up today and walk out that door and live our lives exactly as Mary did in this moment. You're just calling us to be on the path. You're calling us to move forward. You're calling us to move towards this picture. And Lord, I pray that your spirit, again, has to help us. He is the counselor. He is the one that changes us through your word. Father, I pray that if those came today with a burden, Lord, I pray that they've seen that God is big enough for that burden. 
Lord, I pray if anyone came here today thinking that they don't measure up or, or the world around me is crashing in and no one really cares about me, yes, you're wrong. The God who created everything cares about you. And His people care about you. And Father, I pray today that we would surrender as Mary did. Let it be, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.